Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Reverend Dr. David Bruner. Um, Happy Independence Day to all of you. My name is Dr. David Bruner. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship and Mission here at the church. I want to warmly welcome every single one of you here today and all of those of you who are watching at home. We're so glad you're with us. Um, Before we read our scripture for today, I want to invite you to pray with me. May we pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as we turn to the scriptures today, we pray that you would help us hear your word, understand your word, and put your word into practice. Speak to us now, Lord, for it is in your name that we pray. Amen. So our scripture reading for today comes from my favorite book of the Bible, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. This is from the 13th chapter. I'm going to be reading to you today from Eugene Peterson's translation of the Bible that's called The Message. Paul says this, If I speak with human eloquence in angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Amen. So as some of you know, we're in the middle of a summer sermon series that we are calling Peaks and Valleys. And uh, in this series, we're looking at mountaintops and low valleys in the Bible, and we're using those scriptural passages as an opportunity to share a little bit about the highs and lows that have come around in our own lives. And when I was thinking about what passage I wanted to preach on today, I said to myself, hmm, how can I do something different? And how can I work in my favorite book of the Bible, 1 Corinthians? And I said, aha, 
Did you catch where the mountain was in today's scripture? If you blinked, you'll miss it. Paul says that if I have faith so strong that I can tell a mountain to move and it picks itself up and marches right across the street, if I have faith like that but I don't have love, it's worthless. Put differently, if I believe I have faith in Jesus, but that faith is not suffused with Christ-like love, I probably don't have faith at all. Now, if we want to know more about exactly what Paul means here, it helps to place this passage within the larger context of his letter. Paul was writing to the Christians in Corinth in large part because some of them had started to think that certain spiritual gifts made you part of the religious elite. These folks thought that if you could, say, speak in tongues or prophesy or heal people or preach spectacularly, that you had joined the spiritual aristocracy. You had ascended above the crowd and attained a special VIP level of spiritual status, right? And in this passage, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul takes a bucket of cold water and throws it all over that idea. If I speak in tongues, he says, but I don't have love, I'm just like a creaky gate. If I give everything I own to the poor, but I do it without love, I'm nothing. Now, here's what I find especially interesting about this passage. Paul doesn't say that those sorts of spiritual gifts or good deeds aren't real or valid. What he says is that every gift and every good deed in the church needs to be rooted and grounded in the one gift we should seek above all others, the humble and unspectacular gift of love. When spiritual gifts are not used and received in a spirit of love, they're worthless. Now, when Paul says love, it's important to understand what he means. He doesn't mean romantic love. Some of you know that there's a word in the Greek language that specifically indicated romantic or sexual love. It's the word eros, the word we get our English word erotic from. Paul does not use that word in this passage. And what that means is that the love Paul is talking about here is universal. You can practice this kind of love towards your spouse if you're married, but you can also practice it if you're single, the way Paul was. This kind of love can exist between parents and children, but also between friends, between coworkers. We can even have this kind of love towards people that don't like us very much. Indeed, one of the most interesting things about this passage is that Paul isn't necessarily talking about an emotion at all. The kind of love he's describing is based on commitment, on a sober and mature decision to seek the good of another person, day in and day out, when we feel like it and when we don't. And I have to say, the older I get, 
the more interested I am in the kind of love we find in the Bible, and the less interested I am in the kind of love we so frequently idealize in American culture. I find that American culture is very deeply invested in love as a feeling, as an overpowering emotion. Have you noticed that, right? You listen to the radio, you watch romantic comedies on Netflix, that's the picture you get. And from a Christian point of view, this creates the danger of a kind of sentimentality regarding love. So for instance, we often sentimentalize romantic relationships or marriage, right? Um, we say, oh, I was incomplete until I met you and now the sun is shining and the birds are singing and they all lived happily ever after, right? Well, wait five minutes, right? Wait until you have an argument with your beloved. And then when the smoke clears, you realize that it was your fault. And what do, you, what do you need to do? You need to go back and apologize to that person. Now, that's never happened to me. <laughs> but I bet if you ask Becca, she'll tell you that that's very difficult to love like that. I'm kidding. We often sentimentalize our love for children. Have you noticed this, right? Children are so adorable and so cute. They are angels sent straight from heaven. I love them, I love them. Well, wait five minutes, <laughs> right? Wait until your child throws a huge tantrum or until they won't get off the Xbox no matter how many times you ask or until someone won't tell you what's wrong no matter how many times you ask. It's easy to sentimentalize our love for kids. It's hard to love real kids. I wasn't gonna talk about this today, but it occurs to me now, it, it's appropriate. We often sentimentalize our love for this fine country we live in, right? We say, I love America, I'm so proud to live here. It's a wonderful country, and it is. But wait five minutes. Right? Wait until one of your fellow citizens or someone you meet in the community pops off with some political point of view that you really don't like. <laughs> will you love them then? Or will you demonize them? Will you hate them? Will you say, I love all Americans except for that type of person? Right? It's easy to be sentimental about love of country. It's hard to love real Americans. The point is, it's that second type of love, the hard kind, <laughs> that Paul is saying we should strive for. He does not have a sentimental picture of love. It's that kind of love that Paul says is the most valuable gift of God. It's that kind of love that we should hit our knees asking God to give us again and again and again. Now, I don't know about you, but when I start to understand the picture of love that Paul is painting, I start to realize that I'm not going to be very good at it, <laughs> right? It starts to feel a little overwhelming, and I think, that's, I think that's part of the point. Practicing this sort of love is not easy. Practicing this sort of love is going to involve 
difficulty and struggle. It's going to involve falling down and picking ourselves up and dusting ourselves off and saying, I'm sorry, let me try it again. In other words, practicing love involves bearing the cross. It involves coming up against our own limits. Learning to love wisely and well involves a willingness to bear the cross in big and in small ways, in whatever relationship or context we find ourselves. And I think that's, I think that's good news. Because when we dare to bear the cross, Jesus shows up in our lives. Let me tell you one example of how this plays out in my life, okay? So, um, as many of you know, uh, well, as many of you may not know, all my life I wanted to study theology. I grew up in a home that was full of books about philosophy and theology. My dad and I talked about theology over the dinner table, the way normal families talk about the Sixers, right? We were very unusual. Um, there was a time in my life, this is true, there was a time in my life when I could not ride a bike, but I could explain to you the difference between how Protestants and Catholics thought about communion, okay? That's just weird, all right? <laughs> that, I came by it very naturally. And so when I went away to college, I wound up a religion major, and then I went to seminary, and I met Becca, and then I went back to seminary, and I got a PhD. And I'm, I'm so grateful that God has given me the opportunity to pursue a life of learning. Um, it, it's just a wonderful gift. As you might imagine, along the way, I glimpsed some of the dark side of academia. And if you've ever spent any time in higher ed, you're probably familiar with it yourself. What did I see? I saw cliquishness, and I saw intellectual arrogance. I saw the conflicts and the petty personal feuds. I saw sexism. I saw smart, competent women with real contributions getting glossed over by overconfident men. I saw people who approached the Bible or the Christian tradition not as an opportunity to love God and love their neighbor, but as an opportunity to score a few debating points or to advance some personal agenda. Right? Maybe this doesn't sound too different from the places you work, right? But I came to see in my life that one of the persistent temptations of academic life is what we might call learning without love. Learning without love is a temptation. The gift of education is truly that. It's a precious gift. But like all other gifts of God, it needs to be tempered by love. It needs to be tempered by a willingness to die to self. <laughs> If I publish mountains of academic papers and heaps of important books, and yet I am arrogant or superior in my interactions with others, Jesus is not impressed. If I treat teaching like an opportunity for others to serve me rather than for me to serve them, 
Jesus is not impressed. If I am more invested in winning the argument and advancing my own personal point of view than I am in what Paul called the flowering of truth, Jesus is not impressed. And as I grow older and hopefully wiser, I feel the Holy Spirit inviting me, challenging me, to see the gift of learning as yet another opportunity to practice love in all of its glorious complexity and difficulty. It's hard to love people the way Paul describes, the way Jesus asks us to. But when we die to ourselves, when we follow that way of the cross, we have his promise that he will be present to us in a mysterious and powerful way. Can you trust that promise this morning? In closing, I want to ask you two really simple questions. First, who are the people Jesus has given you to love? Who are the people Jesus has given you to love? Family, friends, co-workers, people in the community. Who are they? And how can you love them a little bit better? How can you love them a little bit more deeply? Maybe that's a process that's really fraught with difficulty and challenges. Terrific. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and, and take another crack at it. Who are the people God's given you to love? How can you love them better? That's the first question. The second question is related to it. What are your gifts? What are your spiritual gifts? Um, not all of you grew up in a family where you couldn't ride a bike, but you could explain Holy Communion. That's probably for the best. But you have unique gifts. And God calls all of us to put them to work for building up the body of Christ and the world around us. What are your gifts? And how can you put those to use? And how can you use those gifts in a spirit of love? How can you temper that gift with the gift of love? I invite you to sit with those questions today and think about them. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for the model of love we find in Paul. We thank you for the model of love we find in your life. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to love wisely and well. Help us to love when it's easy and when it's hard. Help us to love when it's simple and when it's complicated too. Lord, and I know that when I seek to love others, I screw up. <laughs> and God, we pray that you would give us a holy persistence, a holy stubbornness in the way we love others where we don't give up but we trust that when we fail, when we are weak, when we are imperfect, it is then that you draw close to us. May we share that love with our families, our friends, our fellow citizens, and those who do not know your love. 
We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.